Hi, before we start today's episode, I wanted to talk about Richard Donner, who is the director of Superman and partially a director of Superman 2. Of course, uh, we lost uh, Richard Donner. He passed away on July 5th, uh, which was actually after uh, Laramie and I recorded this episode. So I did want to take just a quick moment just to acknowledge uh, Mr. Donner and to pay our respects to him and for his contributions, not only to the Superman franchise, but all 80s movies that he was a part of, from Goonies to Lady Hawk to Lethal Weapon 1 and 2, and so many others. So uh, just wanted to say uh, our condolences and thoughts and prayers to Richard Donner and his family, and uh, we dedicate this episode to him. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! care to step outside? Superman! Superman, thank God. I mean, get him! Come to me, son of Jor-El! Kneel before Zod! 
Hello movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, and I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind the scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Stop me if you've heard this one before. A highly anticipated superhero flick sequel has a profound falling out due to creative differences between the movie studio producers and the original film's director, resulting in that director being fired and a new director being brought in to reshoot scenes, re-edit the new and old footage, and generally lighten the tone with more humor. No, I'm not talking about the Justice League fiasco from a few years ago. We're going all the way back to the early 1980s for this one. So hold on tight as Laramie Wells and I dig deep, or should I say, go up, up, and away, to discuss Superman 2 from 1981 for this special crossover episode with Moving Panels Podcast and the 80s flick flashback. Well, welcome in, everybody. Glad to have you for this uh, very special episode, crossover episode, with uh, longtime guest co-host and friend Laramie Wells from the Moving Panels Podcast. How you doing, Laramie? I am great. It's like a it's like a crisis going on. <laughs> yes, we just need uh, a Wonder Woman podcast and a Flash podcast and Green Arrow podcast. Maybe that would be a short podcast. <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot to talk about there. No, and none of them had movies in the eighties besides Supergirl. But we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Superman 2. Uh, so for those of you who do not know Laramie's podcast, if you're a longtime listener for us, you know Laramie well. But when he started his podcast, we began with the very first Superman because it was uh, made in 1978 or released in 1978. Uh, so it couldn't be done on my podcast. So we decided to wait and talk about the second one together again and do a little crossover. So the first half will be kind of my same format and then... Tune in on a few weeks, right? Uh, for a couple weeks, I think. Yeah, or, or, or a week difference, maybe. Week, yeah, something like that. So in a couple of weeks, Laramie's going to have his episode, and he's going to cover Superman two with me as a guest co-host, and uh, kind of do his format. So this is going to be a fun one. But we are also doing two different versions of this movie. Exactly. So we're going to talk about the theatrical cut for this episode because that's what we had the 80s mm-hmm. and then on Laramie's episode we're going to talk about the Richard Donner cut that was released in 2006 and uh, discuss the differences and maybe which one we like better or something like that sounds like a plan all right well for this episode let's jump into our format of Superman 2 from 1981 so Laramie you know the drill when did you see Superman 2 for the very first time television yeah that's on television <laughs> That's it. I saw it on television. Again, I was I was a small kid in the '80s, so there wasn't a lot of going to the theater for a lot of these movies. So it was it was when it came on television, and you know I watched the TV edits, and uh, and that that was how I was first introduced to most movies in the '80s. Yeah, for me, I did not see this in the theater. This is one that I saw on cable TV with it coming out in 1981. It would have been on cable in '82. Maybe 83 uh, back then. It might have been more than a year. 
So I would have been nine, maybe uh, eight or nine. So, and I think we discussed this because didn't we do a one shot after we did the full episode to talk about the stuff we forgot to talk about in the first episode? <laughs> yes, we did. But, yeah, right. It was my first episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we yeah. made a lot of mistakes. Uh, we we both have much nicer microphones now than we did back then, which is which is good too. Um, but I remember talking about, and I remembered it again when I watched it again, that I remember this one a lot more than the first Superman because I think I saw this one first. Because all the scenes from Superman that stood out to me are all the scenes that you see at the beginning of this one is like a recap. So, yeah. uh, so this this movie I remember very well. I, I remember watching this, and this was one like it came on HBO as a kid, uh, being a PG movie, uh, close to two hours. They they, they were going to play it almost every day, just like they did Star Wars and Annie and every other PG movie back then in the early '80s. So, so yeah, I saw it on HBO for the first time. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly if it was HBO or a TV it, version. Yeah, if it was HBO or if it was just a TV version, uh, more than likely it was a TV version because, and I know I've said this before on your show, mm-hmm. I remember Channel 36 in Atlanta. Like, <laughs> yeah. Before yeah. it was before it was an actual, uh, you know, became like the WB and, and all that. Yeah. yeah, or the WB or whatever all it, it has become. But before all that, it was literally just a local station to watch movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that was really all it was. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure if it wasn't an HBO, uh, and of course, <laughs> if it was HBO, it was during one of the free preview weekends. <laughs> right. Because we did not have HBO. Yeah. But when we got that, my dad would record pretty much everything on a VHS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so that's what I had. I had plenty of those, so... All right, so when was the last time you saw it before watching it for this podcast? I don't think it's been extremely long, but it's probably been a good five, seven years. Oh, really? Okay. I was yeah. like, I, I thought you just pop in a different Superman movie like every other week. Just oh, I would love fresh. to, but <laughs> again, with small children and uh, yeah. who, you know, it's not like, you know, obviously with them, I get to watch just a lot of Finding Nemo and The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. And I just get to watch those 20-something times in a day. <laughs> right. I watched this pretty recently because I think after we watched Superman for your podcast, I just went ahead because it was on. This was shortly after HBO Max had started. And, of course, they had all the Superman movies, a lot of the, the Warner Brothers properties. So I just went ahead and watched the second one. Pretty much right after I watched the first one, maybe like a week week afterwards. So they do not have the the uh, the Donner cut. They do not, which I thought was interesting. So, but I remember when the Donner cut came out because I was around the same time as Superman Returns. Superman Returns. Yep. And so, and we'll talk about that on your episode. So, a little little <laughs> teaser there for moving panels. So, tune in in a in a week or so. All right. So, you ready to jump into uh, story origin and pre production? Let's do it. Okay. So, so principal photography for both Superman films began on March 8, 1977 at Pinewood Studios for the Krypton scenes, but by May 1977, production had run two weeks behind schedule. It was reported that Donner had developed tensions with Alexander and Ilya Selkind and Peter Spingler, I'm sorry, Pierre Spingler, concerning the escalating production budget and production schedule. Donner responded by claiming he was never given a budget. So in July of 1977, Richard Lester, who had previously directed The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers for the Salkins, came on board the project as an uncredited associate producer and an intermediary on Superman to mediate the relationship between Donner and the Salkins, who were no longer on speaking terms at this point. 
Prior to this, Lester had won a lawsuit against the Salkins for money still owed to him for making the films, but the assets were held in legal entanglements in the Bahamas. The Salkins then offered to compensate him if he would help on the Superman films, in which Lester became a second unit director, where he and Donner formed an effective partnership. By October of 1977, Gene Hackman, Ned Beatty, and Valerie Perrine had completed their scenes as they were all under contract to finish both pictures. Nevertheless, with months left of filming, the Salkins had halted filming Superman 2, of which Donner had shot around 60 to 70%, depending on who you talk to, to focus on finishing the first Superman film. During the pause in filming, the Salkins agreed to a negative pickup deal with Warner Brothers Pictures, granting the studio rights to foreign distribution and television airings in exchange for more financing. So there's a lot of different stories and a lot of different accounts of kind of what went down. Uh, But basically, at this time, filming two movies at the same time was not as common as it is now. We've done it several times since then. Uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3, Matrix 2 and 3, All of the Rings. Yeah, so, but this was a a very new concept. Um, but it seems that it wasn't going well between Donner and the uh, the producers. So, do you have I anything mean, to add so far? I do not. Okay. I mean, yeah, it, it seems a little shady. Uh, the the Salkines, I obviously, you know, me being a big Superman fan, I've seen a lot of documentaries and whatnot. Yeah. They are very just... It's just all about making the money. Like, they don't really mm-hmm. look at the story. They don't really care about the characters. You know, it was just about making the money. I mean, if in the credits, there's... Uh, let me see if I can remember the name. It's Schuster, which I found funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say it's like Howard Schuster or something, but he gets a solo credit at the mm-hmm. end. And it says, you know, uh, special thanks to... Howard Schuster company and whatnot. And if you look it up, they're just a, an accountant accounting firm, <laughs> but yet they get a big single credit at right. the end of the movie. Um, so yeah, they were just all about the bottom line. Uh, I, I really do believe that Donner was not given a budget uh, that he was right. just told, you know, make, make a good movie. And that's what he was trying to do. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know. It's it's just a over the years it's just become a, a battle of you know he said he said and all that <laughs> right so going a little bit further uh, two days after the film the, I'm sorry two days after the first film's general release Marlon Brando who was in the first one had sued the Salkins for fifty million dollars claiming he had never received his percentage of the film's gross and filed a restraining order to prevent the use of his likeness. While his restraining order request was thrown out, Brando received $15 million from the settlement. Following this, producers Alexander and Ilya Salkind announced that Marlon Brando's completed scenes for Superman 2 would be exercised, excised from the movie to avoid having to pay the actor the reported 11.75% of gross yeah, how U.S. Weird box office takings. How weird of a takings. percentage is that? <laughs> I was actually going to come in with that when you finished. I was like, it's yeah. such a weird percentage. Yeah. Couldn't get 12, had to settle for 11.75. But anyway, in addition to this, Ilya Selkind had also claimed Brando was removed due to creative differences in which he suggested to his father, maybe using the mother instead of him to talk about love for his son because it made more sense creatively, which they somehow thought was a good idea. Uh, (laughs) Donner publicly lambasted this decision. 
So eventually on March 15, 1979, the Salkins decided to replace Donner with Richard Lester. Donner recalled that, uh, recalled that one day he got a telegram from him saying his services were no longer needed and that his friend Richard Lester would take over. Uh, Salkin countered that saying Don, uh, Donner had said he would do the second movie on his terms but without Peter Spengler. Spengler was a friend since childhood of the Salkins and so they said no and it really boiled down to that according to them. So once again, a lot of who whose story do you want to believe? So... The decision to replace Donner was controversial amongst the cast and crew. Creative consultant Tom Mankiewicz was approached by Terry Simmel, then a Warner Brothers vice president, to return to the sequel, but he declined out of loyalty to Donner. Editor Stuart Baird also declined to return for the sequel. Gene Hackman declined to return for reshoots, which necessitated the need for a stand-in actor and a voice double for several scenes. And we'll get a little bit more into those kind of things when we talk about the Donner cut on Laramie's episode. So... But it seemed to be a mess, and before the film's release, Warner Brothers had appealed to the Directors Guild of America to assign the appropriate co-director credit in which they argued Lester could not be credited unless he shot 40% of the film. Although Lester had earlier thought he would not be credited, he approached Donner to see if he wished to be credited as a co-director, to which Donner replied, I don't share credit. So, so this is Lester's movie taken from about, like I said, what, 50 50, maybe 60% of what Donner had filmed already? Yeah. I, again, it depends on who you ask. There's uh, it, there's interviews with Salkine who says it was 50 to 60% of the movie. Uh, Donner claimed 70% of the movie, but you kind of think, okay, he's going to claim that more of it was made, obviously. Right. So right. I, I kind of sit that maybe if you meet him in the middle, it would be probably about 60%. Um, yeah. And it definitely had to be a lot because then you're looking at Lester in order for him to get the credit for the movie. Mm-hmm. Lester had to film, uh, you know, roughly 70%. 70% had to be what he did. And so mm-hmm. if even if uh, Donner had done 50%, you're still looking at a good chunk of that had to be reshot mm-hmm. or redone right. in order for right. it to become Lester's movie. Let's jump into the casting, which... Is pretty much the same cast from the first movie because even uh, General Zod, uh, Ursa, and Lara, Nan. Ursa, Nan, yeah, I'm sorry, not Lara, uh, Ursa, Nan, uh, General Zod, they were all briefly in the beginning of Superman 1 because in the original idea, and I'm sure we'll talk about this on your episode as well, in the original idea it was supposed to be a cliffhanger ending. And so. He never had an ending for the first movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, and again, we'll, we'll get into a lot of that of the Donner cut version yeah. and, and right. All, so. But, but you, but even one thing we talked about, and we talked about the first one back on your first episode, I had forgot that that was, that they were even in the first movie because they're mm-hmm. only shown really at the beginning. So, uh, which one thing I liked about this movie was the, was the kind of, uh, in the last episode of yeah. Superman, this is what previously you previously on, <laughs> right? So. Uh, so that worked really well. So, but uh, we'll we'll briefly talk about the cast because they're worth mentioning. So Gene Hackman, of course, as Lex Luthor, he got top billing over Christopher Reeve. Why does he get uh, top billing in the second movie? I got the first movie because yeah, Christopher Reeve yeah. was relative unknown. Mm-hmm. But the second movie, your Christopher Reeve now is Superman. Yeah, and yet he's still. I mean, in the first movie, he's third bill. 
this movie's second build because Marlon Brando got kicked out. I'm sure if mm-hmm. Marlon Brando had stayed in, he still would have passed Christopher Reeve. Right. But right. it took it, it wasn't until Superman three that Christopher Reeve finally gets top billing. <laughs> hey, I'm yeah. the main character. I am Superman, but yet I don't get top right. billing. Well, Nicholson got top billing over Keaton for Batman, but that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, but he's a more uh, a more relevant figure in that movie. In this movie, Lex is a side character. Oh yeah, very especially in this one, yeah. he's much more of a side character. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. So, uh, so Christopher Reeve is Clark Kent, Superman. Uh, the late great Ned Beatty, sad to hear of his passing recently, uh, as Otis. Uh, and, For the five minutes and, he's in the movie. Yeah, exactly. It's like I, watching the the Donner cut today when they got to that scene at the prison, and I was like, oh. We don't see him again for the rest of the movie. Yep. Like he just he goes back to prison. So uh, Jackie Cooper as Perry White once again very small role. Margot Kitty returns as Lois Lane. Uh, Susanna York as Lara. Sarah Douglas as Ursa. Jack O'Hall- O'Halloran as Nan. And of course Terrence Stamp as General Zod. Uh, and then who gets last billing? Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. He's the last act. It's not. It's not the usual that if you have another big name, you do. You know. And right. or, or featuring, no. yeah, yeah, no, his name just comes across like everybody else's, but it's at the end. But was he was he as well established then as he is now? I don't think. I'm trying to think of what he did before this, or if he became more popular after. And as Bethany would say, this is the part where Laramie Googles. <laughs> uh, he did actually a lot of things before, but it. I don't recognize any of this. I'm going to guess most of it's probably <laughs> British English stuff. Right. Uh, he was he was actually in a movie called uh Human. Not okay. Human. 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 Okay. Uh where he played a guy named Terrence. Uh so <laughs> that was a a stretch for him. Yeah, I mean of course I was too young to really know, but I was like I you know Terrence Stamp wasn't a name that I recognized until I was much later and probably forgot he was even in Superman 2 until I'd gone back to watch it. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I think this was, it was, this was early enough, especially in his, you know, American career, he wasn't going to get very top billing. So, yeah. And I think probably about the time I saw this movie, because again, you're talking about, I had to be a little older. So you're looking to, more towards the end of the eighties. Right. I mean, he was in young guns. He was in alien mm-hmm. nation. Um, yeah. You know, he, so he, he was kind of hitting a stride. In mm-hmm. the movies there. So I probably recognized him a little bit more. So, right. Right, I forgot he was in top, in Young Guns. He's the That's villain. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, or not the it's, villain. He's not the villain. No, he was, uh, he's no, no, the he one was, who t- tends they, to them. They, yes. Yeah. yeah. He's All the right. one they avenge. Yeah. So uh, Henry Fonda was actually the front runner for the major cameo role of the U.S. president. Instead, his Twelve Angry Men co-star E.G. Marshall got the role. So I thought that was that was pretty interesting. So who looked like. Uh, I, look, I don't know if this is you. I don't know if I realized it in the first Superman. Um, <laughs> but in this one, when he steps forward to confront Zod, mm-hmm. for a second, I'm looking at him going, you look a lot like Hugh Hefner. Uh, I didn't catch that, but I can see, I can kind of see that, yeah. He does. He does. Got <laughs> it. He looks like Hugh Hefner. So yeah, so I, I was telling Larry before we started recording the podcast, normally I have like, you know, stories about casting and who they had... Uh, lined up, but I really didn't find much. Even trying to go back to the first Superman, um, I couldn't didn't find a lot of stuff uh, about the cast. But 
once again, they cast this in the 70s, not the 80s, so I'm going to let it slide on this one. <laughs> <laughs> Unless Laramie has any insights that I didn't find. I do not. We just know that Christopher Reeve was pretty much an unknown at the time of Superman, and that's what made him a bona fide movie star. So, Greatest Superman ever. Yeah. Let's jump into uh, iconic scenes, favorite scenes. So... When you close your eyes and think about Superman 2, what's the first scene that comes to mind? So this is rough, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more. You know, I I love how we keep saying this. We're going to probably talk about this a little bit more on my podcast. I feel like my podcast is the teaser for your podcast. (laughs) Well, it's just because because when you watch both versions of this movie— and then when I was doing my research to discover that some of the TV edits yeah. even had scenes in them that were not in the theatrical cut, yeah. Yeah. you're talking about a scene I probably remembered was not in the theatrical cut. Right, right. I hear what you're um, saying. Yeah, but honestly, you know, I, I think the thing that always comes to mind, and I hate it that this is the thing that comes to mind <laughs> when you say Superman 2, it's Superman throwing his S. Right, yeah. It's Superman ripping the S off of his chest, mm-hmm. throwing it at Non, it wrapping him up. I, I hate that that's what sticks with me. Um, if I really think of, like, full scenes, the the battle in Metropolis mm-hmm. really sticks out because that was kind of this grand, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you didn't really have anything like that in the first movie. Right, right. Um, so it really kind of sticks out, but... But yeah, uh, sadly, the first thing that always comes to mind is Superman ripping off his head. Yes, and you've referenced that several times when we talk about this movie, so I had a feeling that was going to yeah. be on your list. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, for me, which is interesting because I have two, there's two totally different scenes uh, that stand out to me. Uh, the first one is the kid falling off the railing at Niagara, Niagara Falls. And probably because as a kid... When I saw that, it was like, oh my gosh, that could be me. Because that, that was totally something I would have done as a kid. would be on a railing and, you know, holding on, letting go and catching myself and then missing it. And so... Have you ever been to Niagara Falls? No. N- neither have I. I really want to know how far down it is from that rail because that kid falls forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> um. So, yeah, but even after seeing that scene, like every time I'd go to, you know, places, I would like, I'm not going to do that. So it was a good cautionary tale for a young kid to know if you're going to play that game, play on the side or you're not going to fall, you know, into a waterfall or something that's going to, you know, seriously hurt you. What I love watching it again is, you know, when he get when uh, Superman gives him back to his mom. His mom isn't like, oh, I'm so glad you're okay. She's like, I'm going to get you. You know, she, she really scolds him, yeah. which I thought was great. I was like, that that would have been my mother. She probably would have beat me. Well, and if you also paid attention, it's the same kid that Clark stopped from playing on the rail mm-hmm. just a few minutes earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole Niagara Falls scene is, I like that scene a lot, and we'll talk more about that later. But um, And then the second scene that, that I think of is the White House scene when uh, Non... And Ursa and General Zod take over the White House. So, mm-hmm. and for some reason, as a kid, that stood out to me more so than the Metropolis fight. The Metropolis scene did for me because I remember specifically like the the manhole yeah, yeah, throw yeah, that was cool, and then the 
and then the bus throw. Mm-hmm. Like I remember those because, like I said, it was so much. It was probably at that point the most epic kind of superhero battle right. you had ever right. seen in a movie. Yeah, maybe for me being a military kid, all the army guys, and you know that that's probably why it was more. Oh, yeah. It stood out to be more. So, all right. So now let's talk about favorite scenes. So what what what's your all time favorite scene from this movie or scenes? Yeah, that that's a tough one too. I think. I think going into if if I were to go to just favorite, I love the the trick Superman does um, at the end when he he tricks them, especially the fact that he uses Lex to help the. Yeah. I, I just I, I find that just fun. I mean, just because one of the great things about Superman, he's not just super strong. He's not just had the super speed and all the ability. He's intelligent. And so that was a good signal mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that w- that was a good scene. Uh, one of my favorite scenes as a kid was the uh, the fight scene in the in the diner. Both of them. <laughs> so like, but I remember like as a kid that scene when Clark gets hit for the first time and he sees blood, and he and I remember like I can remember that feeling as a kid like oh my gosh he's not Superman anymore. Like what, what does this mean? Like that was a big deal. Well, even seeing him like, yeah. Whimpering mm-hmm. and shaking, uh, at the end of the fight. And Lois comes over there to him. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just like, you're seeing the greatest superhero ever reduced to right. nothing. So I remember that scene pretty vividly. And I remember like, I shouldn't say it's a favorite, it's a favorite scene now because I just remember that emotion of, of as a kid feeling that emotion from a, from a movie uh, and, and being that connected to it. So, but then of course at the end when he comes back and he, you know, has his comeuppance with the, with the guy uh, is still pretty fun too. So even though it's but not very Superman, yeah, that was my one, yeah. my one flaw with that. I'm going, that's yeah. not something Superman, like Superman would turn the other cheek. Superman right. would not have gone. I back thought about that more watching and, it today with the Donner cut, which well, we'll talk about this in years. But there's a whole nother level to that scene with yeah, the Donner cut. So, yeah, we'll talk, which we'll talk about. But I was like, it 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 bothered me more the second time than it did the first time. So, yeah, this is one of those movies where you really kind of question: Is it better than the original, or is it on par with the original? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one that you really debate, and yeah. a lot of it does have to do, like we mentioned earlier, you know. So much, so many aspects of it is the same as the original. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of hard to distinguish, you know, when when people always ask, you know, oh, the sequel's never better than the original. Uh, you know, this is one that I almost kind of go, is it? Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I always have the problem with. I don't know. Yeah, I think for me, we're talking about the the first Superman and Superman two, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, I, I gravitate more towards Superman 2, maybe because it's the one I, I, I saw first, and it's the one that I watched the most. Even though I really like the first Superman, I, I automatically kind of have more of a... I have more nostalgia with the second one than I do the first yeah. one. But but I'm with you. I think they're both equally as good, and not that one really overshadows the other yeah. that much. I agree. So... Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that. I do have a little bit more, like you said, I, th- I think more about Superman too. And I think like I've mentioned earlier with the battle in Metropolis, 
mm-hmm. is that it's because this one's got more of the superhero aspect yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas oh, yeah, the yeah. first one was just, you know, the evil mastermind versus mm-hmm. the superhero, but you didn't yeah. see a lot of, you know, superhero-ness. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of the stuff they showed Superman doing as a superhero were in short little montage mm-hmm. scenes. Yeah, I mean, when you have an origin story, there's so much set up to get to that, that you don't, you, they can, they can do more in the second yeah. one than yeah, they can he, do in the first I, You know, so. I even remember when we talked about this uh, on my podcast for that first episode, uh, you know, he doesn't even become Superman until almost an hour into the movie. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is really more the Superman movie than the Clark Kent movie that the yeah. first one was more. So, yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, let's we can talk about a couple of scenes, uh, some trivia stuff, because that'll maybe spark our memory and make, get us talk about some other stuff as well. But one little tidbit that I, I, I missed when we were talking about casting, but a little thing I found about Margot Kidder I thought was, eh, thought it was interesting. How, we'll see how true it is. Margot Kidder was very unhappy during filming as her marriage to Thomas McGuane had was ending. She missed original director Richard Donner and was aware that she was being very well paid to do a small amount of work. In a 1981 interview with Rolling Stone, she recalled that, quote-unquote, for several weeks I sat around my dressing room, listened to music, read The Great Shark Hunt and Orwell, and a lot of French literature, wrote letters, worked on a screenplay, went through the divorce, and every so often I went on the set and said a line like, oh, Superman, Superman, (laughs) end of quote. So (laughs) she didn't seem to be um, as excited about this movie as maybe she was in the first one, so, but... Well, it's, it's probably more talking about when they had to bring them back. Yeah. You know, almost. For the uh, reshoots. Yeah. Almost two years later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I could definitely see that. You know, you think you're already, you think you're done. You know, you do understand that there might be some cleanup that has mm-hmm. to be done. But to to have to be brought back for, you know, a few months to mm-hmm. shoot, in essence, to reshoot scenes you had already shot, right? But to do it in a different way, mm-hmm. and to you know shoot brand new scenes, and I, I could definitely see where it was just like, you know, I don't like, I don't enjoy this, um, <laughs> right? And you're going through a divorce at the same time, which is not, oh yeah, which is adding, you know, grief upon grief. So yeah, talking about Ursa, Nan, and General Zod, we went to another. I won't say favorite scene, but iconic scene or a scene that I remember as a kid when they first arrived to Earth and uh, yeah, lands, in the, lands water. in the water. And yeah. I remember as a kid, you know, church going kid, Sunday school kid, when General Zod walked on water, it was like the sacrilege. How could he do that? <laughs> you know, so and then when she gets bit by the snake and it's like, uh, you know, the story of Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul being bit by a snake and not being harmed. Anyway, those religious uh or you know theological things came up so but i remember i was so wow wowed by the fact that he walked on water and trying to figure out how did they do that how did they make that happen you know what special effect did they do for that so but i love in the scene with the fisherman when he sees him walking yeah. on water and he looks at his coffee and just dumps the coffee like what was i drinking so yeah. i thought that was funny but um before that they're on the moon uh which that scene was always kind of creeped me out too but uh, according to Sarah Douglas, who played Ursa, uh, she said that in Japan, her scene of Ursa killing the astronaut by kicking him in the groin was cut due to their sensitivity of a woman being so dominant. Uh. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, 
You want to talk about that scene? Yeah. Larry? <laughs> not, not really. Because it is. I mean, it's, it's she, and again, I'm going to try to separate out talking about the Donner Cut here, mm-hmm. but in, in the theatrical version, first off, and is when they do arrive, it is clearly a very male-driven, male-written moment mm-hmm. because the astronaut is saying, you know, uh, you know, everything looks good up here. He goes, you know, it's a, it's a pretty view. And then she flies by and he goes, very pretty. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. um, then when he tells them, he says, he says he sees a girl, right? Not a woman, right? But a girl. Um, then they really kind of make it even going back to the opening scene. Um, when they talk about Ursa, they kind of make it sound like she does. She has no. I think the exact. Or not the exact, because I don't. I'm not going to quote it. But they say she has no feelings other than that for General Zod, mm-hmm. and so they kind of imply that she is in love with General Zod. Mm-hmm. And then you've even got the moments where, when Lex shows up to the Oval Office, uh, you ha- you know, if you look, he purposefully you know tries to hold Ursa's hand, mm-hmm. and it's just like. But yeah, they treat the character like she is just a, you know, yeah, I don't know. But it it's not done well mm-hmm. for what was, in essence, the first major female, you know, super-powered right. person on film. Right. I did find this interesting, which this stood out to me, too, when watching it. Anti-smoking campaigners opposed the film as the largest sponsor was the cigarette brand Marlboro who paid $43,000 for the brand to be shown 22 times in the film. Lois Lane was shown as a chain smoker in the film, although she never smoked in the comic book version. A prop included a truck sign written with the Marlboro logo, although actual vehicles for tobacco distribution are unmarked for security reasons. This led to a congressional investigation. But I say all that because when... Superman throws is General Zod at that point, right? He throws him into the the truck, or was it? Yeah. yeah. He throws him into the truck, and it was a big old marble truck. I remember like that is like so blatant of an advertisement, especially now seeing it now. But that one. What about the the Coca Cola sign, sign that Superman throws uh, Zod yeah. into? One that I saw today. I didn't catch it the first time, but there's a shot from inside the car during the fight in Metropolis. And there's a little basket. There's a little box of Kentucky Fried Chicken on the dash. Oh yeah. No, the ba- the Battle of Metropolis scene is just product placement yeah, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was so funny. But yeah, the marble truck. And of course, uh, at that time in my life, I was living in North Carolina, and there were several like Marlboro, and there are a couple of like large cigar. Go- uh, I'm sorry, cigarette companies in North Carolina. So. We and all of my relatives smoked back then, so I recognized all the any cigarette brand that came on on TV or or movies, I automatically uh, recognized. So, yeah, I thought this was cool. Having Lois punch out Ursa at the end enables Superman to beat her in a swift and satisfying way without him actually hitting her himself. If the screenwriter had shown Superman hitting her, that would have been unpleasant or seen as misogynistic or abusive. Having Lois hit her settles the score without falling into that trap. That's why Lois winds up killing Ursa at the end. I did like that. You know, you at least do, do get some 
powerful mm-hmm. female moment of having Lois punch her out. Yeah. Well, she does have that line when they're fighting him in the air in Metropolis. She says, you wouldn't hit a girl, would would you? And so that that was a nice little setup for that scene at the end when they, they lose their powers. And Lois is like, mm-hmm. oh, I can hit you now. And it won't feel like I broke my hand like I tried last time. So uh, on August 1st, 1981, a television spot for this film was the first commercial ever aired on MTV. The next time you're at Trivia Night, that question comes up. Just say thank you, 80s Flick Flashback, for that little bit of knowledge. While we're in the moment of first things on MTV, what was the first music video on MTV? Uh, video Killed the Radio Star. There you go. Just making sure. Double checking your 80s knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, side note, we're going to take a little detour. When I was a kid, there was a, they used to, you know, they used to, well, <laughs> probably when you were a kid too, they used to sell records on TV through commercials. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time Before Time Life Music, they just had different things. But there was a album called Mini Pops which was what would be like kids bop today where it was kids singing like adult contemporary or pop songs. And one of the songs in the album that my parents ordered for me and I had was video killed the radio star. And that was my first time ever hearing that song. And I was like, this makes no sense whatsoever, (laughs) but I didn't, I mean, but I didn't have MTV back then. So when I, when I read that years later, I was like, Oh, is that what that song was about? So anyway, a little bit of, by the way, to, to any of the younger audience, MTV, which originally did stand for music television, right. actually used to have music yeah. on their television mm-hmm. show. Like just music videos. That was all they it's showed. Just music. It was just music videos. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, you had the VJs that just talked about music and music <laughs> videos. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I can remember. get all this dating stuff and Jersey Shore. Oh, and- yeah. Once they did the, started doing the. Game sh- it started Reality with the game. It started with the game shows when remote control hit, and then remote control was fun. Though. Remote control was Hang great, on. yeah. And then they singled st- out, singled out, and then uh, there was the one little competition show they had on the beach that I used to like. But I can't remember what it was. Uh, it's kind of like American Gladiators, but it was on the beach with like young people. Uh, I don't know if I remember that. Yeah, one. I can't remember the name. Anyway, um, that started. And then when the real world, real world hit, the first like reality show. That was that was the downfall of MTV, but but I can remember before we had MTV because I thought that was an interesting fact about eighty one uh, was when MTV started. Like I remember HBO would show music videos in between movies, so that was my huh. first introduction to music videos. Like I remember seeing Billy Joel's Uptown Girl music video. I think a Genesis, one of the Genesis earlier early videos, but um, before. MTV was added to our cable package, I guess. But anyway, so. All right, enough about my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you talked about the S insignia, let's. I have this little blurb here. There are two controversial scenes in this movie that fanboys, film geeks, and critics have complained about for years. The first is Superman's amnesia-inducing kiss. Fans complain this was a Doex Machina-type ending with a cheat, because this Superman skill was never mentioned in the comics. In fact, it actually appeared once or twice, but it was very obscure. The second controversial scene is the one where Superman removes a strange plasticky film from his S insignia, which magically grows as he throws it at Non, covering him and then subduing him for a second before vanishing altogether. Fans and critics criticize this scene for being random, not taken from the comics, 
and also pointless since it didn't do anything meaningful to Nan. The scene was also parodied in an episode of Family Guy in 1999. Where, where he flat out says, he goes, well, that was just mildly <laughs> Yeah. No, and we're, you know what, just like you said, it's a big point for, uh, you know, Superman fans mm-hmm. like I am. So, you know, I don't care talking about it now. We'll talk about it again <laughs> on my show. But it's not just that. You know, after, so to begin with, Zod all of a sudden demonstrates his his telekinesis mm-hmm. ability. And I'm going, where did this right. come from? Um, And then... When not only does Superman throw the S, but then all three of them like teleport mm-hmm. six feet, um, and then Superman duplicates himself. <laughs> I'm like, where is all of this mm-hmm. coming from? But then, yeah, the the forget me kiss at the end. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do know they did something very similar in the comics once, but I mean, back in the I don't know. I don't know exactly when they did it. Um, I actually should probably look that up, and then we can talk about it in uh, mm-hmm. my episode. But you know, back in the '30s, '40s, uh, '50s, probably even, they really hadn't settled Superman, and so he did do a lot of things that the Superman that we mm-hmm. all know doesn't right, do. Right. Uh, I actually talked about one of those in. I think it was the Superman Christmas mm-hmm. Adventure. Oh yeah, yeah. My podcast mm-hmm. that he he does a he does something in that one that you're going. <laughs> Wait, how does he have right, that ability? Right. Yeah, kind of like your uh, you guys talked about in your Greatest American Hero epi- uh, episode where they would just give him he would give that whatever whatever power, whatever was, power convenient. was convenient yeah. for that that episode. That's what they. Mm-hmm. Had. So I'm sure back then, in the, like I said, in the early days of comics, it was kind of the same. They weren't thinking about continuity or canon they were just like i gotta finish this story and get it out you know by a certain time so this week superman can do this or this week superman could do that well that's just like my daughter the other day and uh, i forgot what we were watching or looking at and she was like is superman the only superhero with multiple powers (laughs) and i paused for a moment and i went well and I stopped, and I was like, is he? Because, you know, Wonder Woman, yes, they did add that she could fly, but really she's just mm-hmm. strong. Flash is fast. Green Lantern, I mean, he can manipulate any construct, anything from his ring, but that's right. really it. You know, Aquaman talks to fish. swims, talks to fish. But you're talking, yeah, Superman, he can fly. He's got super strength. He's got super speed. He's, he's got the breath. He's got the super hearing. Yeah, he's in, invulnerable. And so it like it really threw me. Yeah. I was like, huh. Yeah, that's why he I mean, I know someone's I know someone's gonna listen to me say that and they go, Well, actually this you know, and name somebody who I'm not right, thinking of right, right now, but I mean Martian Manhunter has multiple yeah. powers. So I I know they're out there. It's just when you really stop and go, Yeah, Superman does have a lot of powers, doesn't he? Yeah, he was Superman. He, yeah. Yep. All right, one last little bit of trivia, then we'll jump into box office and critical reception. So uh, I thought you would find this interesting. I'm sure you knew this already. John Williams did not return as composer due to scheduling commitments with Star Wars Episode Five, yeah. The Empire Strikes Back, and Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark in 1981. 
However, Williams granted the Salkins permission to use his original themes and even recommended composer Ken Thorne, a personal friend of his, to compose the film score. So um, I did not realize that, but yeah. Yeah, the score isn't bad, Mm -hmm. but when you listen, he made just enough changes to the Superman main theme that there's just an extra like beat there. There's an extra little note thrown in. And it's, you know, me as a big Superman fan, I'm listening to it going, and eh, this, this isn't John Williams. <laughs> right. I can, I can mm-hmm. just tell it's not John Williams. It's not no, bad. Yeah. It didn't take anything bad. away from the movie that I, that I feel like, yeah. but, no. it dif- but it, there's definitely a difference. But, um, and this goes back to something that I think, I don't, I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast or just a conversation we had about how similar the Superman theme is to the Star Wars theme. Uh, we talked, oh, we about, talked yeah. about it. Yeah, we talked yeah, about it on so. the episode. Yeah, no, I Superman, Star Wars, Indiana mm. Jones. Uh, I think a lot of those themes, like it takes you a minute to think of which mm-hmm. one you're, you know, or if someone says, "Hey, you know the Star yeah. Wars theme," and then it takes you a minute because <laughs> uh, because they are very. I mean, even Jurassic Park sometimes mm-hmm. comes in there because that that dun 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 da 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 da. It's John I mean, Williams. John Williams yeah. definitely, but they're yeah, all yeah. great. But so. I, I know, like this time, I think it was during the during the credits when the theme was playing, and I was like, "Laramie's right." When that first started, I was like, "That sounds mm-hmm. like Star Wars." It doesn't sound like Superman, yeah. but it's not long enough to really. I mean, it's just it's just no, little, no, no, no. It's yeah, just like I said, it's little just, beats. It's just that yeah. little bit. It's just like I said. If if someone asks you, just you know, cold, mm-hmm. you know, hey, sing the the Star Wars theme. It, there are some people that will just take them mm-hmm. a second or they'll start doing it and then all of a sudden end up singing <laughs> Superman right. or singing right. Indiana Jones. Right. or Because, uh, again, uh, you know, in my head right now, I'm thinking Jurassic Park. But then Indiana Jones. You know, I mean, there's very there's a very similar. I'm not a music yeah. person, but there's a very similar oh, build yeah, yeah. there. There's a very similar, mm-hmm. you know, uh, follow through with yeah. the notes. It's his style. Uh, yeah, yeah it's very similar. So, all right. Well, let's jump into box office and critical reception. Uh, Superman Two was released in North American theaters on June nineteenth, nineteen eighty one. On its opening weekend in the United States and Canada, Superman Two broke box office records with a first day gross of four point three million dollars. Yeah. The, the next day, it grossed five point five million dollars, which at the time was the highest single box office day, surpassing the record previously held by Star Wars with a $4.5 million one day. Uh, it also recorded the highest grossing weekend up to that time with $14.1 million, surpassing the record of $11.9 million set by Superman in its third weekend. The film remained number one for the next three weekends, outpacing Raiders of the Lost Ark, but Raiders eventually overtook it and returned to number one in its sixth week of release. Wow, in its, crazy. Yeah, in its first month of release, Superman 2 had grossed $75 million and went on to gross $108.2 million in the United States and Canada, with the gross rental coming to $65 million, the third highest grossing film of 1981. So, okay, I, I knew that it was the third highest grossing film in 1981. Mm-hmm. What were the first two? Oh, so you're going to ask me something I got I to gotta look up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. All right, so it came in third behind. <laughs> Bethany's going to love this. Raiders of the Lost Ark was number one. 
Number two was on Golden Pond. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's wow. awesome. That's awesome. And number four was Arthur. So there's your there's your top four. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There's your top four. Oh, I think forgotten movie, but I am a fan. Yeah, of that's one I haven't seen in a long time. I think my mom. We saw the first one on cable. My mom took us to see the second one because she really liked Dudley Moore. She liked the first one. So anyway, the second one's not as good. Though. No, not not at all. Nor the remake. But anyway, moving on. So, uh, critical reception, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 86% on the tomato meter and a 76 mm-hmm. audience score. IMDb has a 6.8 out of 10, which is sacrilege, with an 83 Oof. on Metacritic. So, Yeah, this should be in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. It should be in the 80s. I agree. Definitely. Yeah, that's 6, 6.8, which is a 68. Let's just yeah, well, that's 6.8 is the, is the critics. No, 6.8 is, is the... Uh, audience so yeah that's yeah. low but yeah that's that's bad i'm gonna i'm gonna skew that to like younger audiences watching it like younger kids seeing it and probably not as impressed with the special they don't respect yeah. they don't respect yeah. it the special oh, yeah. effects the, the green screen yeah that's the thing the green screen in this movie is horrible. yeah yeah and then oh let's talk about that so we're talking about special okay. effects the zapping of mount rushmore <laughs> Yeah. Dear Lord. The fact that one zap of their heat vision mm-hmm. just completely changes yeah. No. I'm yeah. sorry. That that was ridiculous. That was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And and I guess we'll talk about that, but they I was listening to another podcast talking about uh Superman 2. I didn't get to finish the whole thing, but they were saying that was definitely a Lester Edition, of course, we know that watch, watch, after watching the Donner Cut. Yeah, but it's not in but, the Donner Cut. But they said if you've seen... Because he also directed the first two Beatles movies. And they said that was almost a nod to those type of movies. Like That's like a zany, comical thing that he would do. Um, that was very yeah, reminiscent right. of that stuff. They, another, another part they mentioned was during the battle in Metropolis, the scene where the guy in the telephone booth and the booth falls over and the wind blows oh yeah all, all of yeah. that yeah all the pratt yeah, falls exactly. when they're doing the wind yeah, yeah that's that all was... lester so that was that was his oh. sense of humor trying to lighten lighten some things up but yeah i never liked that scene even as a kid it bothered me not because i you know i didn't you know the logic wasn't there it was just it just it didn't make sense to me it wasn't well it also goes on for yeah. too long it really does. It like I'm I'm fine. You know I'm a Three Stooges, Laurel and mm-hmm. Hardy, you know fan. I, I I I enjoy slapstick comedy, physical comedy, and all that. And so I I wouldn't have mind I wouldn't have minded having those platforms, mm-hmm. but it just kept <laughs> going. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. That's just no. It, it stop. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's it's not a perfect movie, so that's why again I say it should be in the eighties. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, this would be where I would say you have any final thoughts on the movie before we close up, but you have more thoughts, and we'll talk about those thoughts on your episode to be, yeah, to be continued. So, uh, so we're gonna wrap it up on for my portion of the Superman two episode uh, for eighties flick flashback. But I do want to thank Laramie for being a part of this episode. Uh, thank you, sir. Glad to. Uh, have you on this one? No, thank you. It's very exciting. Like like you said earlier, you know, we didn't get to talk about the first movie on your show because it didn't happen in the 80s, but 
we got three other Superman movies <laughs> to talk about. So it was fun to get to do this one, and I look forward to continuing this conversation with the uh, the Donner cut on moving panels. Yep. So uh, until that comes out, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.